0: save up, consistently build that savings rate, and steadily build out that portfolio if you're working a full-time job and looking to build a portfolio over the next couple of years. Do it consistently, not aggressively, and enjoy the rewards that slowly and then quickly begin piling up. As a loyal
1: Best Ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash ever. That's t r y r e n t l e r dot com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever, listeners. How you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today, Scott Trent. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing great. How you doing, Joe? Oh, I'm doing great, and nice to have you on the show. I've heard a lot of great things about you from mutual friends of ours, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Scott, he's the president of BiggerPockets.com. We don't even need that .com in there, BiggerPockets, everyone knows BiggerPockets. He also owns properties in Denver where he house hacks, he's the author of Set for Life, and he is based in Denver, Colorado. So that being said, Scott, you want to give the best Denver listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
0: My kind of passion, I guess, is financial freedom. And I started out my career very passionate about it, having worked at the time, started my career at the What was rated as the worst company to work for in America. So you could look that up for two thousand twelve if you wanna figure out what that company was. So I actually was more interested in financial freedom at first than real estate. So I followed Mr. Money Mustache, which is a blog on frugality. Sure. um, And it's popular in financial independence community. And wanted to be a little bit more aggressive though with my investments than the kind of standard index fund strategy that a lot of financial independence authors and blogs talk about. So that's when I started reading and following bigger pockets and Basically, I was the first kind of major step that I took towards moving toward financial independence was a house hack. I'm sure that that's been talked about many times on your show here, but for me, that concept was I bought a duplex in Northeast Denver for two hundred and forty thousand dollars. I put down five percent or twelve thousand dollars and moved into one unit. The numbers here were my mortgage was fifteen fifty and my rent from the other side was eleven fifty. And then I had $550 from a roommate on my side. So it's two two bed, one bath units. And that was how I kind of got started on my journey at around 24 years old, 23 years old, was with this duplex purchase, living with a roommate and spreading out the other side, basically living for free, operating the property myself and doing some work on it. So I saved up the money for that down payment over the course of the first year of employment. And put that down. And so, yeah, pretty straightforward path there. And then from there, the Denver market's been pretty hot and I was able to buy a second duplex and now I have a quadplex. So I'm going to kind of this slow and steady path towards real estate accumulation where I purchase kind of once every 12 to 18 months. So I'm not buying aggressively and kind of overextending, but I'm still able to capitalize on leverage, keep it passive and go kind of on this journey over the course of the next several years. Do you still have the duplex, the original duplex? I do have that duplex. It's appreciated remarkably over here in Denver since 2014, which is kind of a nice stroke of fortune there, but it's going well. It's cash flowing and probably going to raise the rents a little bit more this summer, but otherwise it's operating as always. What's it worth now? I think it's probably worth around four hundred
1: to $430,000. Okay. And with the four hundred to $430,000 range, you... Bought it for two hundred and forty. You put five percent down, so twelve thousand. So it's safe to say you have some equity in it. Are you planning on getting that equity out through some sort of
0: refinance? That's a really good question. And my plan going into this was basically you made all these fancy models. I'm a spreadsheet guy, so I'm a financial modeler and financial forecaster was my profession prior to Bigger Pockets, and still something I do here at Bigger Pockets when running the finances. But basically, my plan called for buy one every few years because when you 're buying leveraged real estate, your return on your equity position diminishes over time. If I buy a hundred thousand dollar property with twenty thousand dollars down, my best returns on a return on equity standpoint are going to come in the first few years because I have three percent appreciation is a what three times fifteen percent return on that twenty thousand dollars down but as you deleverage through the process of amortizing your loan and your is appreciating, your return on equity diminishes or your expected return on equity diminishes. So if I expect now in the future for Denver to have average appreciation of 3 4 5%, then yes, my return on equity is gonna diminish. And I have this problem much sooner than I expected to have it because of the hot appreciation that Denver's seen over the last four or five years. So the answer is I got to start looking at an idea of how to re-leverage or a 1031 exchange and put it into another property. That's a good problem, right? That's <laughs> we, we all want to have this problem of having the investment work out sooner than you expect. But what my problem is, which is interesting, and you just pointed out, is I bought a great investment property that produced a great return for me, and now it may not be a good return. It may not be something that I would buy today from an investment perspective.
1: With you being a spreadsheet guy, how will you assess whether you should re-leverage through a refinance or sell and do a 1031 exchange? So
0: the problem I have right now, things have been pretty hectic here at Bigger Pockets over the last six months. So I haven't given as much thought to my real estate portfolio. I haven't done this assessment. So this is something that you're reminding me right now of my laziness and I'm gonna to have to go through <laughs> this as we're done here for the show. But the way I figured out philosophically is if you assume that the stock market is gonna return about 10% a year, an index fund investment on average over to history. Obviously, there's going to be volatility in that. But if you project out 30 years, my belief is that I'm going to get pretty close to that 10% average compound annual growth rate. All cash real estate is going to perform worse than that on average. Some properties will perform better than that over a long period of time. But on average, all cash real estate is going to perform worse than that. So you have to maintain some set of leverage. And my belief is that you if you're going to be investing in real estate with leverage, then you might as well be getting at least five, six, 7% return beyond that of an index fund for it to make the effort worthwhile. So the answer is, if I project going forward that in a kind of average scenario over a period of time in the next several period of years, that I'm likely to get 10, 11, 12, 13% return on my property. It's time to sell, refinance, re-leverage, or whatever. Somehow redeploy my money in something that's going to produce better or get out of it and just take the historical long term average of the stock market and index funds. Mm. That's
1: my philosophy there. Does that answer your question? It's helpful. I haven't heard of it, that thought process put that way. And yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. So you got the original duplex, and then another duplex, and now a quadplex. Will you tell us the numbers on the second duplex and then the numbers on the
0: quadplex? Sure. The second duplex was. A- $360,000, worse financial return. The unit upstairs, this one's an up down, so the first one was a side by side. The unit upstairs rents for about $1,500, and the downstairs rents for about $1,100, $1,200. We're not sure yet. Then the quadplex I bought for $355, and this is my best, probably from a strict financials perspective, investment, from a cash flow perspective at least. The quadplex, though, I bought it for $355. I bought it in July of 2017. And the property rents for about $3,200 a month for all four units combined. And my mortgage payment was about $1,700. And after the tax assessment's gone up to about 18 my rents, I believe I can raise immediately over the course of this year, like this summer when all the leases expire, up to about $925 a piece. And I've already validated that by remodeling a unit and getting that up to 925 So I expect to generate... $3,700 a month in rent over the course of the next year or so while I remodel these units and redo the leases. About $3,700 and an $1,800 principal interest taxes insurance. How long have you had the second duplex?
1: That one was bought in 2016. And you said it's an up-down. Mm-hmm. One of them is fifteen hundred, and the other you said is eleven or twelve hundred. I'm not sure. So why are you? Well, not I live not in sure. that one. So we're figuring out ah, what the will be when yeah. I when I move out. So <laughs> uh, okay, that's there. There we go. Makes sense. When
0: you move out, are you doing the same thing? That you've that's been the doing? plan is to um, keep doing this. It seems to me that the house hacking strategy is very effective because I need to put down fifty thousand dollars with the partner to buy that quadplex. Right. That's a lot of money. But that's not a lot of money to save in two years. It's a lot of money to save in one year. It's not that much money to save in two years for your kind of typical, maybe median or slightly above median income earner in a specific area. It's tough to save that much money, but it's not impossible, right? But when you can do that, and then also the next year, buy a place with $15,000, $20,000 down, now you can actually consistently maintain a system of buying properties regularly. And this is different. Maybe a lot of your listeners are full-time real estate investors It's really the deal flow that's the problem in order for them to kind of build their portfolios. But for a lot of our listeners and for probably a lot of your audience as well, there are folks that are working full-time jobs, buying on the side. And so there's the risk that I perceive in there is investing a life-changing amount of capital. amount of capital you can't accumulate in one, two, three years of hard work and saving into a deal and having the market tank on you. So I like the system of kind of consistently buying and dollar cost averaging over time to kind of spread my risk and ensure that I'm hit closer to that kind of long-term average return that I can model out. So that's why I really like the house hacking and buying properties traditionally down with the 25% down payment because it allows me to spread my investments over more evenly, I guess. I don't have to come up with a huge chunk of cash every single year to buy these properties.
1: I don't think a ground-up developer would find a favorable audience with you if he or she were to present you an opportunity to do ground up development. Am I correct in that?
0: Yeah. Not right now. <laughs> I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer because I think the problem with ground up development, at least in Denver, is that you're talking about a hundred to two hundred thousand dollar capital commitment from you, the owner of the property, and then you're talking about a lot of leverage and a business initiative, what I consider to be more of a business initiative. My portfolio I think is more of an investment I spend some time managing it, but really not more than a few hours a month versus a development where I had that much on the line. At least at first, I would want to spend nearly a full-time effort trying to give myself as high as possible odds of success of that kind of moving forward. However, I plan, like many real estate investors, to grow my portfolio over time and for that type of ground-up development to be not have the ability to bankrupt me or to give me a life-changing Financial problem, and at that point, then yeah, absolutely, I'll I'll start taking out, assessing those opportunities as they come, like I would anything else.
1: Your investment approach is to do the house hacking. If you weren't able to do house hacking, what would you be investing in?
0: The goal for me is not real estate. I love real estate. I used to joke I don't like real estate, like the income and cash flow that it provides, but that's not true. I love real estate. It's just fun to talk about, and I of the idea of growing a portfolio, but The goal really that I don't want to forget is financial freedom. So I'd invest in a way that could help me move toward financial freedom. And one of the things I may seriously consider nowadays, I had some success with my career and have a little bit more cash than I kind of expected to have at this point in my career, is investing out of state. I think that there's opportunities to hit solid singles in these more Midwestern markets where you can kind of buy a property for 50, 60K, put 30K into it, and then maybe get an ARV of 120, right? So you put 80 dollars $90,000 in, you get an ARV of 120, and now you can refinance out of that and repeat your strategy, not rapid fires. Some people think you could do this really, really quickly, and I guess you can if you're really good, but a lot of times it takes six months to a year to get that money out of that deal but you can then kind of accelerate your progress to do one, two, three year after a few years and then be kind of making some substantial progress. So I think that's what I'd probably be doing if I wasn't house hacking and didn't have the ability to put down 25% on a meaningful investment property in Denver. How are you managing your properties? I self-manage. It's pretty straightforward for me. There's a bunch of schools of thought on management. For me, In a higher priced market like Denver, I have higher rents per unit than somebody who might be investing in Memphis, Tennessee. And I also have a different type of tenant because of that higher income threshold. And I'm not buying A properties, I'm buying like B and C properties here in Denver. But those types of tenants don't give me that much work to do from a management perspective. So my management is, for me, pretty manageable, I guess, if I use the word manageable 10 times in one sentence. So I don't have a problem with that. So I self-manage.
1: What are some disadvantages that you've seen about self-managing?
0: The disadvantage is really just that the problems come, you have no control over when you actually get those calls. I'll go six months and not have any calls. And then it'll just seem like, oh, this is a terrible time. And I got so many other things going on. I'm out of town. And now I'm getting calls. I got to kind of coordinate that kind of stuff. But really, that's the biggest problem. I don't really have too much of an issue. It's so far, knock on wood, pretty straightforward for me from a management perspective. I like to think I'm a pretty fair and reasonable landlord and my, I have pretty fair and reasonable tenants. So we get along and they got a great place to live and I have solid cash flow and investment properties.
1: How has your role as president of Bigger Pockets helped you with your own portfolio
0: and your own investment approach? I would say that my role at Bigger Pockets was not impactful for my first two deals. And then when my third deal I think I did have a little bit of a reputation and that helped me meet more people. But really, I just met with 30, 40 different people over the course of a few months. Maybe not quite that many, maybe like 25 people. And met them for coffee and told them, hey, here's what I'm doing. How can I help you? And if you find a property that's of this type built in this year in these areas of Denver, I'd love to buy it because I'm looking to buy my next property. And a deal came through that. So I wonder if my ability to get that deal was slightly impacted by my work here at Bigger Pockets. I guess one advantage to it has just been I've been able to absorb so much knowledge through my professional capacity and working here at Bigger Pockets that perhaps that has given me a slightly better odds of success. But I don't think it's been really like necessarily like, oh, I only did this because I work at Bigger Pockets. Nowadays, because of the success of the business and I have a, a book that's done fairly well, I've been able to amass a little bit more cash than I think I would have expected to this point in my career. So my next purchases will be from a position of more comfort. So that's where I think bigger pockets will really play a role in my success going forward is now that I have a little bit more cash than I expected and just have more access to opportunity than I ever have. Does that answer your question there?
1: Yeah. Just to ask a couple follow-up questions on that with the person who showed you the fourplex, is that a person, a real estate agent or is that person, the owner or what was the connection they had to the property and then they shared it with you?
0: Oh yeah. So I actually am an agent and I got my license so that I could view the MLS and potentially represent myself on my own deals. But ironically, I've actually not represented myself in any deals because this person that brought me this deal was an agent and had a connection with the seller's agent of this property. And I was able to get that deal before it hit the market. So it was kind of marketed to investors, I guess, through this kind of word of mouth type situation for a few weeks before it actually hit was going to go on to the MLS. So that was my advantage there. So he brought me a great deal before it hit the market. So I was able to get it under contract with, I presume, less competition than I would have.
1: Pocket listings, they're great. You said the next purchase will be in a position of more comfort. Can you elaborate on what you meant by that?
0: Well, when you buy your first place, <laughs> when I bought my first place, my total net worth was probably basically zero, maybe like Fifteen twenty grand, the amount of savings I had less my car loan payment plus the value of my car. Right, <laughs> right. That's like my position I was starting from. So buying a two hundred and forty thousand dollar asset, which was five times my salary at the time, was a very kind of scary proposition. That seemed like a lot of money at the time. It is a lot of money. The second property was a little easier. The third property is a little easier than that. And now those properties on their own. The portfolio could go poorly, but those properties on their own really don't have the ability, even if I lose both tenants and have to replace the roof and go through a $20,000 rehab, really don't have the ability to set me back in a way that would be irrecoverable in my position right now. So that's what I'm talking about from a position of comfort. Like at the beginning, those were fears that I had. Like what if I have all these problems right away where I don't have the cash for it? I'm going to have to borrow more. It's going to be really hard. Now I have those reserves, I have this cushion, I have a big stock portfolio, I have the big position that I'm saving for my next purchase that really kind of allows me that luxury of comfort and time and not having to be afraid that the market's gonna tank on me and I'm gonna lose everything or be in a position of weakness. Based on your experience as a real estate investor, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I think that the best real estate investing advice ever is to remember that real estate is one part of a well constructed personal financial position. And that really most of us are building real estate, not for the sake of owning a large real estate portfolio, but for the balance and kind of opportunity and flexibility in life that a real estate portfolio gives us. So my advice would be save up, consistently build that savings rate and steadily build out that portfolio. If you're working a full-time job and looking to build a portfolio over the next couple of years, do it consistently, not aggressively and enjoy the rewards that slowly and then quickly begin piling up.
1: What percent is real estate of your financial position and what percent would you
0: recommend? My position, it's probably about 65% of my financial position right now. And I think it depends. Right? So as a young person starting out, real estate was close to 100% of my financial position because I invested everything in my first house hack. And that's not diversified, but I think that's sensible because that gave me great odds of success, lowered my cost of living, gave me an opportunity to own a cash flow of investment. Same with the second property. Over time, I've begun to build out more of a diversified portfolio. So I think that that It depends on where you're at and how your strategy's going. Yeah, it's risky to have all your eggs in one basket, but if that's your first year of getting going and that's what you think is the best odds of success, maybe that's not so big a deal. Once you get past several hundred thousand dollars or maybe several million dollars in net worth and you're not attempting to aggressively build out your one core business, then it might be time to diversify a little bit.
1: We're gonna do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. Looking to build a predictable and duplicatable real estate investing business? Do over 100 flips a year Whether it's flipping or wholesaling, experience a difference with The Ultimate Real Estate Investing Course now, and also get a free strategy session with Dylan. He's been a guest on the podcast before. You can use the code JOE20 for 20% off. Everything you need to know in one course, go to www.TheUltimateRealEstateInvestingCourse.com. All right, Scott, best ever book you've read? Best ever book I've read is probably The Millionaire Next Door. Best
0: ever deal you've done. First duplex. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? The mistake I've made in a transaction. I knew I was going to have a set of problem tenants with a property purchase, and I did not take steps immediately to figure out how to remove those tenants from the property.
1: How would you go about removing the tenants if presented a similar situation in the future? Cash for keys probably would, would have been what I would have done. It's just I've... offered them cash to to leave. And how do you know? the amount of cash to offer in order for it to financially make sense.
0: That's where I'd probably call up a couple of friends in the neighborhood or maybe start a forum topic on bigger pockets to kind of see what the community thought on that because it'd probably be around one or two months rent. But that specific amount, I could probably get some advice from some smart people in the community to figure out. Best ever way you like to give back there's two types of people I like to give back to. One is the middle income to upper middle class income earner. That is kind of the core person who's going to be buying real estate. This is your ordinary American who can buy real estate. I think that it's really powerful to help them move toward financial freedom because they go on and impact the world in very unique ways once they achieve financial freedom. And that's a huge opportunity. Second way I like to give back is people who are not at the starting point in the economic race, who are not able to command a median income. And I like to help them out through an organization here in Denver called Upstream Impact or Cross Purpose. And we basically help them Kind of work towards that job or a career that has the potential to give them a median income, become self sufficient, that kind of thing.
1: How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you?
0: Biggerpockets.com. So I'm right there, easy to find. You can type my name in the search bar or you can email me. Really enjoyed
1: our conversation, Scott. Thanks for being on the show. I love that we went through really a range of topics, but all focused on what you're doing right now as it relates to house hacking. A question that comes up frequently is what's the thought process I should use when I have equity in a house or property? Should I do a cash out refinance or should I sell and do a 1031 exchange? And I love the explanation that you gave with the stock market historicals and what we can expect in the future or project in the future. And then thinking about that, plus need a little bit more to compensate us for our time if we're going to be doing real estate versus passively investing in the stock market. So great stuff. Plus, love the case studies. Love getting to the numbers of your property. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Looking to build a predictable and duplicatable real estate investing business? Do over 100 flips a year. Whether it's flipping or wholesaling, experience a difference with the ultimate real estate investing course now And also get a free strategy session with Dylan. He's been a guest in the podcast before. You can use the code JOE20 for 20% off. Everything you need to know in one course, go to www.TheUltimateRealEstateInvestingCourse.com.